Do you know what time it is? It's that time again with Cindy Gern, who has the latest news about employment trends, current opportunities, and innovative strategies for managing a career on WERA 96.7 FM in Arlington, Virginia. Hello to all intelligent life and otherwise. Welcome to the Brainstem Show on the Workforce Show at WERA 96.7 FM, Radio Arlington and online at brainstemshow.org. I'm Aaron Bursiaga and here we go. This is the Brainstem Show. You've tuned in because the game has changed in schoolhouses, on playing fields, in boardrooms, and on battlefields. Welcome to the Matrix. Welcome to a world defined by science, technology, engineering, and math. I'm your personal data scientist and AI engineer, and in this show, we talk, and even debate a bit, with leaders in STEM on news, perspective, experiences, and career advice. We'll have some pop culture and sci-fi fun along the way. Let's dive in to today's show. So Greg Pesek is our guest today. Greg, welcome. Hi, Aaron. Let's get started by introducing you with two truths and a lie. Why don't you give me one, a lie or a truth? Oh, let me think. So when someone first asked me if I was familiar with Java, I said, of course, I have three cups every morning. (laughs) Truth or lie? Give me one more. All right. I've had a successful gallery opening as an independent artist. Uh Uh-huh. One more. My graduate thesis on the use of advanced analytics to improve air traffic control was adopted by the FAA. Two truths and a lie in those three. Okay. Well, Greg, I know you're a brilliant guy. You surprise me. You're a little bit of a Renaissance man. And I know you like coffee. So all all, (laughs) this is about STEM, right? (laughs) All three seem like they could be true, but I'm going to guess that you have opened a gallery as an independent artist. What kind of art? Photography. Photography. All right. That's the truth. Then I'm going to guess that, yeah, you're a brilliant guy, but you probably didn't know Java. You prefer to drink it. That's true. Okay. So so the lie is you did not – uh, write a graduate thesis to improve air traffic control, but you could have, I think. Uh, no, I couldn't. My, you know, I think uh, this is an interesting show for me to be on because my actual undergraduate degree is not in a STEM field. Um, it's actually in hotel administration. Um, my real goal in life uh, was to be a general manager of a hotel. Um, so I, I have you know, my background uh, from an educational perspective uh, was not in engineering, uh, was not in in science or math. Um, But, you know, clearly something shifted along the way um, and, uh, uh, you know, became 
really enamored with uh, uh, the application of technology as a, as a way of solving complex business issues. Yeah, so something did shift along the way. As a matter of fact, that's how you and I came to know each other a little bit in the industry, and, and you are. You are probably one of the persons that I've known that has embraced not only the technology that's here today, but what's emergent. So before we get into to some of the questions that I want to ask about your first companies, why don't you just go ahead and, and elaborate a little bit how did the game change for you? From wanting to be a hotel administrator, we know that you went to Cornell, but obviously something shifted, something changed. The game changed. You stepped up, you strapped on, you did something with STEM that's led to you spinning off two successful companies. Well, I think the shift was a little more basic. Um, after graduating college, um, I was in hotel operations and uh, I quickly discovered that the uh, people checking into a hotel looked like they were having much more fun than the people checking them in. Um, so I decided to get out of hotel operations um, and got my graduate degree in finance. Um, and this was the late 80s, uh, early 90s. Uh, it was also, I think, the advent of, you know, the internet becoming the source of most of the major, you know, new startups. Um, uh, it was, and it was honestly something that uh, was new to me. Um, and uh, when I left, uh, when I graduated uh, uh, with my MBA, uh, I joined a big consulting firm, uh, learned more about technology, um, and then I joined my first startup as a very early employee uh, in uh, enterprise uh, software selling, uh, you know, a, a new type of technology. Uh, and that was uh, my first exposure both to uh, the startup world, to... Uh, so these were early 90s, is that right? Yeah, early 90s. So the world of STEM was kind of bubbling up around you. Yes. Some people could say right place, right time, even luck, but... But clearly, with the education you pursued, and that's one thing that I always strongly advocate, not only to the listeners of the show, but also to my own daughters, uh, you have to have the education, the qualification uh, to be at the right place at the right time. There's no such thing as luck. You created it. And and then you took advantage of the opportunities in front of you. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. So I think, you know, we started getting into that a little bit, Greg. You know, the the audience doesn't know too much about Passkey, which is kind of how we eventually led to come to know each other, but let me quickly summarize. You know, prior to its acquisition, which you were the CEO at the time of acquisition, uh, Passkey uh, had been the travel industry's leading hotel booking technology for meetings and events. It was a cloud-based platform used by thousands of hotels uh, for destinations and meeting planners worldwide. Sounds awesome. How did that business begin? Well, the business began as a, a platform for managing large events. Um, I took over as the fourth CEO um, in uh, 2001. And what's interesting about that time uh, is uh, this was my second startup <laughs> company. Uh, I got my offer letter on September 10th, 2001. Uh, everyone knows what happened the next day. Um, so so I just want to, want to pause for that for the audience real quick. Two interesting points there. Fourth CEO. Yes. And you signed your offer letter on September 10th, 2001. Yes. A day before 9-11. Yeah. And you can imagine the recruiting process as uh, whether you're being recruited as CEO or anybody. 
you know, there's a good explanation of where the company is headed. You know, there's uh, everyone's made plans. And What's going to happen to the company after 9-11 or not? Well, no one knew. <laughs> exactly. No one knew so what, what the so world how did you how, the, how did you navigate that? Well, there's no, there's no book uh, out there to tell you, uh, you know, how to navigate um, a major global event like that, right? Uh, but it definitely had a sig- more than a significant impact on um, the future of the of the business. Um, so uh, there is. Did nine eleven have a impact on Passkey? Oh, you bet. Um, the Clearly, I mean hospitality. A, so explain it, for it had, and It wasn't unique to Passkey, but I think any travel technology uh, that relied on the volume of business and travel, um, you know, frankly, on September 12th, it came to a halt. Um, you know, our business volume uh, was directly correlated to people traveling. Was that uh, a hard problem? Was that a wicked problem in the sense that it was something that was not only solvable by business processes, but also required science, also required Strategy? How, how wicked of a problem well, was it, and, and and how did you overcome? Well, we had two problems. Yeah. One, um, the technology was focused on a a portion of the meetings market that actually represented the smaller part of that meetings market, large events. So after nine eleven, meetings market contracted, right? It, it not only contracted, but th- these large meetings uh, became regionalized. People and more than that. People were actually afraid of going to large meetings. Um, right. So we, we had... And you probably saw some centers like New York just lose the traffic. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, you had businesses contracting their own business spend on travel. Uh, so there was uh, lots of macro uh, issues uh, putting pressures uh, on the business. Um, from a technical um, science and engineering perspective, the platform was designed from the ground up to handle uh, these large events. But the portion of the market uh, that uh, wasn't being tapped were events that were occurring within the four walls of a hotel, which represents, frankly, you know, anywhere from, call it 80 to 85% of the overall meetings market. For Passkey to survive, that was the portion of the market that we had to figure out how to, um, uh, you know, how to uh, become part of. Uh, without that, so without it's interesting. So, so you had to adapt post nine eleven, of course. Yep. I think every one of us has fundamentally changed in some way or the other. But Passkey had to change, going from the large national meetings. Mm-hmm. To smaller regional markets, and was that Not a business? Me- was that a what was harder to change? How you marketed and performed your business, or the decision logic, the mathematics, the technology that was in your platform? Um, good question. So, when I came on board, I would say technology. Uh, excuse me. I would say the company had a cultural focus of being a technology company. And that was, um, that's neither good or bad. The only problem with that is 
what we really needed to be, especially in um, the environment that the world was at the time, we really needed to be a growth-focused sales and marketing company. That uh, happened to have a technology. That happened to have a product and technology uh-huh. because there was no other way to get into a new market or even expand the market we had uh, without clearly communicating the value of our solution, uh, being able to, um, you know, go up the food chain to talk to executives to increase, um, you know, the, you know, our, you know, our, our pipeline. Let me take that point a second. If you were to look at one of the data scientists or technologists or data engineers or AI engineers or anyone that might be listening to the show that is excited for a career in STEM, excited for a career in developing the AI solutions of tomorrow, what would you tell them kind of coming out of that experience with regard to focusing on advertising themselves as that amazing technologist or should they spend more time on their soft skills? I think um, not, you know, not to be flippant, um, buyers of buyers certainly at the corporate level are buying solutions to solve business problems. I think it's really, really um, important for um, technologists, engineers, etc., to always be thinking uh, about how can I change something? How can I improve something through the unique skill sets of something I understand, be it blockchain, be it quantum computing, be it uh, machine learning, whatever. We don't sell machine learning. I mean, if you buy a car, I'm not a... you know, I don't know what's under the hood. I may know it's eight cylinders, uh, but I couldn't tell you what horsepower it is. And that that's not what what I'm buying. You I'm, put your key in, and it starts. Yes, but more importantly, I'm buying, um, you know, a a, a purpose for yeah. for the vehicle. Yeah. In much the way, um, you know, no one really gives a damn uh, about what's under the hood when you're buying uh, a solution. They're they're buying um, the uh, the value that it's going to provide the business. And that's, frankly, what they're paying for, mm-hmm. right? Yes, it's powered by AI. It's powered by machine learning. It's powered by, um, you know, natural language processing or whatever. But, and, and that has to be exceptional. Of course, you know, in today's world, machine learning, everyone wants to talk about it. Yeah. Th- that will go to, um, you know, five years from now, it'll be another uh, another buzzword. You know, another term. buzzword, right? You know, Greg, I, I think that's perfect, and I love to share that point with with the audience. I, I believe in in your really validating the points that I've made on other channels. That to be a capable data scientist, uh, a, a good engineer uh, of any sort, it really comes down to education. It comes down to experience, and especially elocution. You can have all education in the world. You can have all the experience in the world. But if you're not able to eloquently connect that to a business problem or challenge, the ML, the AI inside, doesn't matter. Well, I think that is essential. Um, You know, there's this old phrase, there are two things uh, 
that uh, drive company growth. Um, one is sales, and I can't remember what the other one is, right? So, uh, <laughs> you know, um, I, I think that's really ABC important. always be closing, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, it's not to say that, uh, you know, and there's always this, uh, you know, I find – uh, sometimes that's looked at as uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, somehow sales or cowboys, etc. But you always have to remember there's a fuel that all companies need, um, and and that's revenue coming in the door. It's very hard to um, take advantage of all these new technologies um, unless you've got a piggy bank uh, full of uh, folks and good investors that are willing to keep funding it. However. Those people expect a return on that at some point, right? And that's only um, created uh, by uh, revenues uh, coming in the front door. You know, that being said, um, the role of these technologies is incredibly important uh, uh, to maintain a competitive advantage. Although, I, and I will say that, you know, in today's world, speed to market tends to be the most important competitive advantage you can have because even things like machine learning um, uh, has become, what, democratized yeah. in, in many ways. Yeah. Citizen and you and I know from our past lives that how, mu how much of machine learning programming has gone offshore, right? If we look back five years ago, six years ago, machine learning, the people who built it, um, was very much this very unique thing, right, right? Right. Over the last five years, so much of that has shifted because it's become almost, um, uh, you know, it's not easy, but there's so many now. Yeah. What's going offshore uh, today is going to the cloud tomorrow, right, with even AI. Anybody can do it. And, you know, I was telling someone the other day, I said, probably three years from now, four years from now, just like there's that little sum button in Excel, <laughs> there's going to be exact same thing for something like machine learning, right? Yeah. yeah. I don't think that's necessarily good. No. But, you know, these are the things that will happen, and they'll happen at a much qu quicker pace. I want to give a shout-out to Fairfax City Gov uh, right now because they have been loyal fans of ours for over a year. It's a small city, and it's in the middle of a large urban area of George Mason and Fairfax County. And uh, there's just a small city that has a lot of personality and it's a great place to grow a business and, and grow a family in the houses. So look at them up. They're, you're going to like that. So it's fairfaxcity.gov. Well, you know, I, one, one point I want to take this conversation uh, is, is, is the, the idea of a citizen data scientist is an interesting one. And, and I think you're pointing towards that. But is there such a thing as a citizen dentist? Is there such a thing as a citizen engineer? And if there were, would you go to a citizen dentist and would you go to a citizen engineer? When you go to your dentist, you look for DDS. When you go to cross a bridge, you look for PE, or um, we're not looking for the specs, but we assume that if it's been built, there's been a, uh, a professional engineer behind it. Mm -hmm. What is your thought with regard to how we need to raise the bar on ourselves with regard to not just citizen data scientists completing the work of tomorrow. Um, are, you, are you tracking what I'm saying? I'm talking, I'm, yes. I'm probably pointing back to licensing certification. Well, I think all, you know, certainly all the major corporations, et cetera, are bringing in 
you know, these citizen data scientists who have to be the ones to help companies understand the use of these technologies to solve their internal um, uh, business issues, right? And we, we, we hear about companies creating their pods and right, all that. Right. And so, uh, but again, they're not buying machine learning. Here are the people, what they're buying are people who understand how those technologies um, solve business issues, right? So that's what they're buying. The citizen data scientist um, is one that can communicate to really dumb executives uh, like I was how these things can <laughs> yeah. accelerate uh, a solution. Yeah, that's, that's true. You know, no, no one buys a root canal. Exactly. <laughs> they, they, buy a, they buy a mouth that feels better. Exactly. Yeah, that's interesting. The Brainstem Show is brought to you by The Workforce Show, airing new programming every Monday and Thursday at 9 a.m. on WERA 96.7 FM. Tune in for The Brainstem Show and its affiliate programs on those days and time. Hey, you know, speaking of, uh, of innovation, you've introduced me to and have opened doors to businesses of all size to a lot of new technology, uh, ways in which they can consider leveraging those technology or partnering and teaming differently. How do you stay fresh with what's new and emergent? Uh, yeah, I think there's so there's so many ways to in, in, certainly in today's world it's hard not to be um, inundated with um, you know all sorts of feeds all sorts of you know from uh, you know having a, a news feed that you you constantly look at from different magazines you like uh, etc. Interestingly enough, the one that I really like is uh, magazines like Fast Company. Mm -hmm. And you'll notice that they rarely start a story about what the technology is, but it's all about the company and then the use of what technology they use. Um, that to me is really interesting. Um, they're very market focused um, uh, from that perspective. So, uh, you know, I think, but I also think it's important to um, also you know, when I think about uh, my own experience, I also don't want to get overwhelmed. Uh, there's uh, to to remain focused um, on. You know, a lot of times it's about stopping things that you shouldn't be doing. Um, uh, I think a lot of these new and emerging things have short life cycles um, and often are not necessarily compatible with you know. Uh, uh, the, uh, you know, the business at hand. Let's take a quick break and jump into Data Science Theater 3000. This is a quick audience quiz, and I'm going to open it up to the folks who might be listening in, and Greg needs your help. Here at the show, we're big fans of Campy Sci-Fi. And truly, I've actually used it in the workplace to stretch teams' brains, laugh a little, eat cheap pizza, enjoy Mountain Dew and Flaming Hot Cheetos, and uh, see that what we're slowly arriving at or what we're developing has in fact been dreamed about years ago. So I'm going to give a few clues to a favorite uh, campy sci-fi show. You can say you know it or you have no clue. And if you want to give an additional clue, great, but don't give it away, Greg, all right? Uh, it's the audience's turn to respond with the correct answer. Uh, so here we go. Three clues. First clue. Universal Pictures reused the footage from this cult classic as part of The Six Million Dollar Man. Before they began operating on Steve Austin to attach his bionic limbs, 
the entire sequence of this film was used? Uh, no clue. Clue number two. The large computer around which much of this movie was filmed was, in fact, Universal Studios' payroll computer. Oh. Third clue. More than a decade before Skynet attempted to destroy the human race in 1984's Terminator, this namesake of the movie and its Soviet counterpart conspired to unite, enslave humanity, and set off two nuclear weapons to prove their sincerity. Greg, have you got an idea? Don't give the answer, but perhaps give us another friendly clue. Um, did it have a young Matthew Broderick in it? <laughs> it, it, it didn't. Uh. Uh, unless he was an extra, and I'm not aware. Oh. But if you listeners think you have the answer or want to dispute the clues, send your answers to mailroom at brainstemshow.org or tweet them directly to at brainstemshow or kindly mail them on the back of any unmarked $20 bill to Brainstem Show, care of The Workforce Show, AIM, 2701C, Wilson Boulevard, Arlington, Virginia, 22201. And the winner will be randomly selected from all the correct answers received and will be sent some truly marvelous Brainstem Show swag. Uh, last question here. Uh, we are broadcast by Radio Arlington, and uh, the region it serves has been in national even global news a lot recently, ranging from the government shutdown to Amazon headquarters. What do you think is in store, particularly for the Arlington, D.C. area, over the next five to ten years? Well, I'm not going to touch anything about the shutdown. So let, let's, uh, let's but, not. Sounds good. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, look, you get, the area has such an enormous opportunity, uh, certainly with the Amazon um uh, headquarters or part of the headquarters uh, coming here to to the area, um, and all of the um, you know uh, you know secondary businesses that will uh, be created by that. Um, I mean, not being from the area, but I hopefully there is already plans um, working in collaboration with Amazon um, to uh, provide. Uh, you know, opportunities for students, for uh, people uh, with interest in STEM to engage with them. I mean, five or 10 years from now, Amazon will need the expertise, the education um, uh, around STEM. So I would think some of those uh, programs, plans, et cetera, uh, are already underway. So the region's rife for opportunities over the next five to 10 years in STEM. Absolutely. Awesome. Hey, Greg, thanks. This has been really a compelling show. Where can we find more information about you and, and what you're up to now or next? Um, certainly on uh, LinkedIn or uh, have your viewers reach out to you and they can connect with me. That's the time we have for this uh, right now. Special thanks to WERA 96.7 FM, Radio Arlington. Cindy Gern is our producer. Charlie Ross is on the dials as our audio engineer and assistant producer. In best practice and homage, clearly, our legal advisors are Dewey Cheatham and Howe, and the show's resident statistician is the esteemed Marge Inovera. I'm Aaron Bursiaga. This has been the Brainstem Show. Remember, be a leader, not an algorithm. Adios and QED. Thank you for tuning in to The Workforce Show. 
This interview and others can be found at WERA.FM or at CareerCentralOnline.com. Thank you for listening. Until the next time.